Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Justin Trudeau calls on the G20 to reassess Russia's membership. It's obvious that we can't have business as usual when it comes to the G20. Uh, When it comes to Vladimir Putin sitting around that table with the rest of us, that's going to be extraordinarily difficult for us and unproductive for the G20. There's some optimism as Indigenous delegates continue their meetings with the Pope. We heard the Holy Father say to us very clearly, the Church is with you. And uh, that's an incredibly important statement because the next thing we will hear is, I am sorry. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And the Conservative Party says membership data is safe after an alleged breach. Spokeswoman for Chavez's leadership campaign has said that that campaign was informed that several people had received emails from their camp suggesting they had made donations when in fact they had not. It's Friday, April 1st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. Good morning, Joanna. Good morning, Mark. Let's start with the fact that the Prime Minister said yesterday that the G20 should reconsider Russia having a seat at the table. We know, of course, that Russia has already been excluded from the G7. It used to be the G8 when it included Russia. So uh, what do you think about that from a global perspective and the fact that Canada is joining this call to revisit Russia's position within this group? That's right. So this this was something that the American president, Joe Biden, had also called for this last week. Um, But Trudeau did come out yesterday and he was making the argument that, you know, the G20 might include different countries that take different approaches and have different political structures. The G20, of course, also includes China. So it's a different sort of group than the group of seven. But he made the point that its main function is to manage and encourage economic growth. So he was arguing that with this invasion of Ukraine, Russia has in fact upended economic growth for everyone around the world. And he says can't possibly be a constructive partner in how in how countries work together to to manage the economic crisis that he's saying was, you know, created by Russia's invasion of Ukraine to begin with. So he says the bottom line is this can't be business as usual to just have Russian President Vladimir Putin sitting around the table um, saying that everything's okay because he's saying it's it's not okay and, and it's his fault. So so it's interesting to make that argument that he's he's not coming at it from a Russia did something bad and they must be punished sort of thing, although that would be sort of the end result and the bottom line of that message. It's, it's more the argument he's making that if this group is designed to talk about economic growth, then why include this country that is, uh, you know, countering that and undermining that progress? So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Russia had been part of what is now the Group of Seven and was the Group of Eight, and, and their membership was suspended in 2014 over their um, annexation of Crimea, and then and then they, they left entirely a, a few years later. I remember in 2018, then-President Trump had sort of suggested they be invited back, but the Group of Seven um, rejected that and said sanctions should continue. And, of course, we're in a situation now where not only are sanctioning been continuing, but, but they are being added to. So, I, you know, I see this as part of, you, you made the point of, you know, that it's interesting the Canadian Prime Minister is doing this, and I see this as part of 
that role that the Trudeau government says they want Canada to play as sort of a negotiator, as someone who, you know, the country may not have a lot necessarily to offer in a military sense, so they won't quite say it that way, but that they can offer offer different ideas and um, work on the diplomacy side and, and that sort of middle power. So I, I see that as sort of fitting fitting in with their sure. actions there. Yeah. All right, let's turn to uh, the meetings that have been taking place between Indigenous leaders from Canada and the Pope. And um, we're hearing that there is some optimism coming from these meetings. Of course, this is a follow-up to the report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. One of the recommendations was an apology from the the Catholic Church. Uh, So what are you hearing about that? Well, it was interesting. One of the people who went in yesterday for a two-hour meeting, I believe it was originally supposed to be a one-hour meeting, and it lasted for two hours. So I think these sorts of lengths of meetings with the Pope are are studied very carefully. Um, And so I think that's a sign of perhaps that there was some substantive discussion behind the doors. Um, But one of the people who was at the meeting was Phil Fontaine, uh, course, a former national chief of the Assembly of First Nations, and this was the second time uh, Fontaine had met a pope and requested an apology for the legacy of residential schools and the role of the Roman Catholic Church in that. Um, He had asked that of former Pope Benedict in 2009, and of course that apology never came, and that was before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission had completed its work. Fontaine, though, he said that this time he's he's certain an apology will come, and he made the point that even within Canada there was there was a shift last year. The discovery of unmarked graves found at several former residential school sites really put incredible pressure on the church, he said, in addition to really waking up a lot of Canadians who may not have quite realized just exactly what happened at these institutions, and he says the eyes of the world were were upon us here. So, you know, the, the Pope did not commit to an apology or even a visit to Canada, but Fontaine was saying it, you know, suggested that he could visit potentially this summer, um, and he does expect the Pope to make that clear during a final meeting today with First Nations, Métis, and Inuit delegates. So we'll, we'll watch to see what happened there, but I, I do think it was interesting to have someone who was part of that delegation in 2009 come again and and come away with it from a, with a different impression about what may happen next. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people were assuming that if, if the Pope was going to have these meetings and was going to welcome Indigenous leaders uh, to the Vatican, that there would have to be some outcome of some kind from that. Uh, so That's right. It's a, it's a step beyond a prime minister going, which which has also happened before, but it clearly is making the time to listen directly to the people yeah. who are affected. All right, let's talk about uh, the conservative leadership race. And normally we'd be talking, of course, about the latest uh, announcements about candidates or about what the candidates themselves are saying. But instead, the Conservative Party has had to reassure its members that confidential data about the members has not been compromised because there apparently was a breach. So what happened? This is a a bit of a strange tale. So it involved some apparently fake pledges that were made to the leadership campaign of Jean Charest. As far as as we know, um, I think other campaigns are potentially going 
mystery things, but that's where it seems to have landed. So this came out, conservative strategist um, Melanie Pardy, a former staffer for Erin O'Toole, she went on social media and she suggested her data had been stolen. She, she explained that she had received an email from a candidate's campaign, and we later found out that was the campaign of Jean Charest, thanking her for her pledge. And she thought that was strange because she hadn't actually made a pledge um, and is planning to stay neutral during this leadership race. So clearly something was up. Um, she suspects an old party membership list was used to sign her up just based on on the postal code um, on the list and, and where she was living at that time. So anyway, a spokeswoman for Chavez's leadership campaign has said that that campaign was informed that several people had received emails from their camp suggesting they had made donations when in fact they had not. Um, and the campaign was able to figure out that someone had used their website to make false pledges using IP addresses from Ukraine. Um, and she called what happened was an obvious attempt to create chaos that, that they would not tolerate. So, in, you know, in the meantime, the executive director of the party, Wayne Benson, came out and said that the Conservative Party is really taking this matter seriously. They're going to be investigating any possible misuse of party data. They're thanking campaigns for cooperating, but also came out and reassured members um, and expressed confidence that internal membership data had not been compromised. So... Yeah, we'll see what uh, we'll see if other campaigns end up being affected, and and we'll see what we learn in the days ahead about how exactly this happened and why it happened. Yeah. All right, Joanna, that's um, that's a wrap for this week. But of course, next week is going to be a pretty busy one because we're heading towards a federal budget next Thursday. So um, sure is. Yeah, looking forward to talking about it. Yeah. All right, we will be talking about it next week, Joanna. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. That's Joanna Smith, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Canadian Press. When it comes to Vladimir Putin sitting around that table with the rest of us, that's going to be extraordinarily difficult. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star asks if Vladimir Putin will be allowed to lose gracefully. The Star writes... A negotiated end to the Ukraine war would not allow the U.S. and its allies to achieve their real aim, to humiliate and diminish Putin to such an extent that he could not continue to wield power in Russia. The question remains, how can any kind of reasonable peace deal be made with such a monster? And yet, if such a deal is to be made, how can the monster be ignored? In some ways, it is better for the West if the peace negotiations fail and the war goes on. By the time it is finally over, it will have managed to completely isolate Putin's Russia. And that, presumably, is NATO's aim in this never-quite-declared war. At Policy Options, Maria Popova considers how Canada can help Ukraine by leading on the world stage. Popova writes, Canada needs to make a bold, performative move by emphasizing on the world stage that Ukraine needs to win the war that Russia has launched against it. It is high time for world politics to reflect a value that should be self-evident in the 21st century. Imperialist conquest is immoral. It crushes the very foundations of the international rules-based order, and it should be consigned to history. Canada can be a leader in helping Western democracies rebuild the international rules-based order that Russia has shattered with its invasion. At the conversation, Catherine Harrison, 
considers the political opportunities and challenges of Canada's new climate plan. Harrison writes, For three decades, Canada has failed to meet any of its emissions targets. So it's high time the country started doing what it takes to meet our target. But there will be both political upsides and downsides in this new era of climate policy. The good news is that the mandate to produce a credible plan to meet Canada's target has the potential to set a new baseline for partisan debate. Opposition parties can and must hold government to account by asking tough questions about policies and emissions projections. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will be joined by Northern Affairs Minister Dan Vandal for a virtual infrastructure event in Iqaluit. Government officials will provide an update on COVID-19. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie will deliver opening remarks at the Canada CARICOM Foreign Ministers Group Meeting. In Montreal, Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino will announce funding to prevent gun violence. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller will make an announcement in Savona, British Columbia. International Development Minister Harjit Sajjan will address the Surrey Board of Trade. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will make an infrastructure announcement in Stratford, Prince Edward Island. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will make an announcement in Saint-Hyacinthe, Quebec, about support for Quebec farmers to adopt sustainable farming practices and clean technologies. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, April 1st. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.